Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy. We are very excited today because we are talking to two teachers from Baltimore who are primary teachers, and they are going to share their experiences with implementation, wit and wisdom in the primary grades. So, Melissa, I know we've been wanting to do this for a long time. We really have. <laughs> yeah, I think from the, from the very beginning when we talked to Kier and Katie, we said, we need some, some even younger grade teachers on. So we've been talking about it since then, and it's taken us a while, but we're here. <laughs> yeah, because we, we often hear from primary grade teachers, like, this is really different, or this yeah. might be hard for our kiddos. But the two teachers who we're talking to today have such amazing positive outlooks, and they're going to share some really fantastic experiences with you. So, yep. And specifically, we've been wanting to talk to them now because of this new virtual experience, and we want to know how that's going with our youngest students. <laughs> So, <laughs> yes, God bless all of the primary teachers right now. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> all right. So, we have Jen and Sam with us today. So, we're going to have them introduce themselves. So, Jen Wendler, do you want to start us off? Sure. Hi, I'm Jen Wendler. I am teaching kindergarten. I currently teach at Thomas Johnson. I've been teaching kindergarten for this is my seventh year. I've previously taught first grade for 10 and second grade for two. And I also love to do support work with teachers. So right now I do the support work within my building pretty much, but I've worked with the district to support teachers um, across Baltimore City as well. And I love both of those areas, but I'm so excited to be here. Thanks so much. And we also have Sam with us here today. Hi, everyone. My name is Samantha Ashley Sam. And um, I have taught first grade for eight years. I've taught first grade for eight years. Um, I also just like done support teachers within my building as what are we called now? Academic planning facilitators. Um, <laughs> so we do like those collaborative plannings and we support them with the implementation of all things literacy. And I really like that role a lot. So I'm excited to talk to you all today. We are very happy that you're all here. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So remind me just one more time. Sorry, I want to make sure. Jen, what grade are you teaching now? Kindergarten, currently. Kindergarten. And Sam, you are first? Great. Uh -huh. So we have kindergarten and first grade teacher with us today. So one thing we wanted to talk about was reflecting back on our adoption of wit and wisdom. Um, one of the rockier spots of adoption in Baltimore City, particularly, and we heard this at, from other places, um, not just in Baltimore, but that it was a tough transition for our kindergarten, first, second grade teachers to move from whatever they were using to wit and wisdom. So we wanted to just have you guys share what were your experiences? Um, what were your challenges? <laughs> what's gone well, what's changed over the past couple of years, um, and just anything that you want to share about how implementation's gone for your kindergarten and first graders. You want to go, Sam? I know. I, know. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, it was like, like chomping at the bit. And also, I feel like because you were involved in the process, I feel like you should go first. <laughs> uh, okay. okay, not it. Okay, no. Um, I think that... Um, 
you know, I had the opportunity to be involved in the adoption process, which was pretty cool. And when I was looking at Wit and Wisdom in the materials, I did feel like um, it was going to be very rigorous and super intense for our students with the time commitment and everything else that it was asking and the writing and everything else. And it wasn't until, but I liked it for our students. I felt like I was intrigued. I was intrigued by the fact that it had a focus on knowledge building and content instead of like skills. And I felt like that's what I was doing for the most part prior. Um, I wasn't doing like any deep analysis of text, I think, um, prior to using this curriculum. And it wasn't on purpose. It was just for lack of knowing, right? So I, I just didn't really have the deep pedagogy to know that this is what I probably should have been doing or I would have done it. <laughs> so um, I think when we started using Wit and Wisdom, I was very flustered with the time and getting everything in and making the adjustment to scaffold for my students. And it's pretty educative in nature. It has scaffolds in there. But I felt like initially... I needed scaffolds for myself in addition to uh, scaffolds for my students. So even as far as timing goes, so I was, I never was the type of person to put times on my lesson plan for throughout the lesson. I might know what time I'm starting a lesson and what time I want to be done, but because of the parts of the lesson, I was really going in there writing the times. Like, so if I start waiting with them at nine o'clock, I know I need to be, I had little notes that was like, the welcome is done at nine o five. You need to keep going. You need to keep going so that I can look at the clock and say, Hey, I've been in this learning for way too long. Um, and that was really a, a growth point for me as a teacher was to work on the pacing and then be adaptive to the students' needs. So I think that initially the challenge was for me to learn this new curriculum how it looked in my classrooms, all of the routines and procedures were a little bit, um, were, were, were kind of a lot to front load on the kids at first. Uh, and just a lot of trial and error, right? Of like, uh, okay, this works, this didn't work so good. Uh, let's try that again. Um, oh, they can actually do this. Uh, or hmm, they might need a sentence frame for that. Um, so I think that those were kind of the challenges year one. I think year two, because I understood the expectations a lot better, I was able to kind of foresee and troubleshoot and um, really hone in on, I can see where the content was really going with this and the fruit of the amount of time we're spending in this, in this lesson. So it kind of made the 90 minute lessons worthwhile in the end, but I really did not see that in the beginning, to be honest with you. <laughs> so I think that's it for me. What about you, Jen? Um, I completely agree. I'm just like jotting down what you said because it's just, it's a lot of the same. Um, I think just personally myself as a teacher, I always have, um, I always want to get into my kids very early as far as their interests because I always build my library around their interests. So I try to re, um, reevaluate what the books are and the text that I have that they can dig into independently. And it tends to be a lot of nonfiction. So just knowing that kids can build so much knowledge, I feel like is so um, intrinsically motivating for them to learn to read. And, you know, in kindergarten, I think that's super important to provide them with that. So transitioning to, um, to win wisdom was to me an awesome experience. Like when I went to the first training, I was like, Oh, you know, this is so awesome, but it is, it was overwhelming too, because of just the difference in going from, you know, the curriculum that we could we could tailor, kind of, I'll say. We tailored to the needs of our kids, but there were a lot of 
of holes for lack of a better word. So there were those teacher planning days and I got to be creative and, and all that. But I think right away, I did appreciate that the equity piece of it, that all the kids in the district were going to be kind of leveled in, in, in where we were going with this. And just that idea of like those structures that were pretty heavy at first, like when we, you know, start with notice and wonder and they have to do the group protocols and all that, it seemed really overwhelming. And I think that was a lot of the pushback, especially in like the kindergarten level and first grade level is like, this is a lot to put on the kids and the teachers. But after that first year, it was just amazing to see the growth and what they picked up. And like right away when I show, you know, a book, even, even now in virtual learning, when, you know, we did our first day of Chicka Chicka Boom Boom today. And I said, it's our first day. What are we going to do? And they said, we're going to draw a T-chart and we're going to notice and wonder. And, you know, that's, you know, just a few weeks in. So it's like the power of that. And they know right away what to do now. And they, they embrace it because it, it is structure for them. It is something that they can hold on to. So I just, I think that's really important. Um, that the kids are owning it just as much as the teachers, which I say like as a support person, that was kind of a challenge too, to try to be supportive of, um, and knowing the challenges, like the timing, like the timing was completely different. You really had to be very conscious of the, of um, how much time you spent on different pieces and not knowing in that first year, not that anything was not important, but where the focus should be for each lesson or, you know, those meaty parts that were going to feed into the focusing question or into the end of module task were super, that was super important to know. And it was, um, it helped so much in planning in year two because you kind of knew what those pieces were. Um, Just besides that, I mean, I agree, like you have to just have that ebb and flow of this kid's needs with where the lesson is. And, um, and that can be challenging. I think that's something that, I think for, in my experience in helping teachers is that in the earlier grades, like kindergarten and first, it's more about, I want to say the developmentally appropriateness of how much time can I really push these kids through, you know, as long as they're engaged versus like in the older grades, I think there's that, the challenge of when kids need support and more foundational skills that they don't have the time in, and it's not necessarily explicit in wisdom where we have a different, a different setup. So um, you know, early on in my teaching, I read something about, um, I want to say it was probably year two, you know, so it's almost 20 years ago that I read, you can't teach kids to think critically. You just have to give them more content. So the more content that they own, that's where the critical thinking can come in. And I think that's something that's always stuck with me, which made me really latch on to wit and wisdom and, um, and just love it from the beginning for the kids. And we say, um, kids can do hard things. And when they, they see they can do hard things, they are so proud of themselves and they become, to me, lifelong learners at that point when they know they can do these things. So it's been, to me, it's been an amazing transition. And I think a lot of teachers got on board after year one, especially after year two. I think it yeah. took a little bit of finesse and seeing the big picture. But um, as a support person, I think, you know, it really shows. And not just because you, they got through a year, but now they're getting kids who have been through, you know, they come to them with these structures in place and the kids know how to do, you know, the things. So the work, the load is, is easier. The, the load is lighter now. So um, it's really impressive. That's a really good point. <laughs> you also mentioned something about the equity piece. And I think that that piece, you mentioned it early on in what you were saying. And I jotted it down because I wanted to speak on it. And I think that for... My, for my building, that was the piece that I had to highlight. Um, and then that's when the buy-in happened. 
So that making highlighting the fact that you have the opportunity for students to notice and wonder that doesn't require them to write all the time. It doesn't require, it just requires you to be present, listen, and speak. Low stakes um, opportunity for you to engage in the content. And the fact that, you know, we did have the repeatable process of always having that low stakes opportunity in the beginning, every time you engage with the tech, made it equitable. So for the people, for the naysayers that were like, oh, my kids can't do this, they can't learn, they can't do this, they can't do that. This, can the student hear? Yes? Okay, good. Um, <laughs> they, can, um, they can articulate um, what, they're, what they're saying? Yes, wonderful. Um, and for those that didn't, even our students, um, our teachers who are teaching wit and wisdom to our students with autism, they found some creative ways to have them using their communication devices and engaging with wit and wisdom that way. And they love it because they have the notice and wonder with the text and then, you know, wit and wisdom treat art as text. And my students that aren't necessarily the most um, attentive or, you know, they get distracted easily, there's always opportunities for them to catch something, right? So if you didn't catch it in the book, you caught it in the art associated with the book. We're just always talking about that content. And because we have so many opportunities to do other standards besides writing, and it's really integrated, there's so many opportunities for them to show their knowledge, which I had to really highlight in supporting teachers, was they can show their mastery or their um, understanding of the content in other ways than writing. So if you don't have a strong reader, you don't have a strong writer, you can, they have Socratic seminar where they can share their thoughts. They're doing um, mix and mingles where they can show their thoughts. They're doing so many different things, tableaus in the younger grades. All of these things that show that they understand what's going on, that you can assess them on and then work on those foundational skills on the back end. It's not for foundational skills. And I had to really highlight that. So um, I'm so glad that you brought that equity up because it's super important for anybody that is trying with, with for the first time. Yeah, I think it's a shift in mindset, too, just when you think about, um, so I think a big pushback from teachers um, initially, and, you know, you question it. I, I'm from the era of, you know, um, open court, and you did Bill Pinckney in first grade for, like, 25 days, and it was, you know, it, it had its own, I think it was headed in the right direction. It just wasn't as engaging to me as wit and wisdom is, and I think there lies within the scaffold of like when we can take five days to have a different purpose for looking at this book again, and the teacher can be excited for it, and that that there is the scaffold itself. To, when it comes to the writing, like I think about when I tried to teach. I mean, I love Lucy Calkins, and I taught Lucy Calkins, you know, writers workshop. But there's a point where still kids don't have something to write about with Lucy Calkins. When we get to the writing piece. Everybody has something to write about with, with wit and wisdom because we've all been discussing, you know, the same book. We've all focused on the same question. So um, I think when we can have that shift and understanding that everything is there and we just have to be the presenter of it and be engaged with it and, um, and showcase, you know, to the kids the learning there. When it comes to the writing, you know, those kids are so empowered to write from what they've learned together. It's, um, it's, it's just awesome to see. Yeah. I, I know that you've kind of seen the gamut, right? Like you've had a 20 year career so far, Jen, which is just amazing. And so you've seen the transition from, you know, you just said like, basically you're the facilitator of their learning. Like you're not standing there presenting. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think Sam highlighted some of that in the instructional routines. She called out that the students are really doing the work. And I'm wondering 
I loved the quote that you shared about like helping students become critical thinkers. Um, I'm wondering if there was a moment for each of you, either in your own classrooms or in classrooms of teachers that you are working with or coaching, where you could see the shift in the teachers that they became believers. And like, can you describe the moments for us? Because I feel like both of you hinted at like that you've had these like, you know, moments and it might be a whole slew of them and pick one or it might have been one that was like, oh my gosh, this is, I, I see the power of high quality instructional materials. So I'm going to, you guys are just amazing, by the way. I love <laughs> listening to you. So keep going, keep talking. <laughs> while, while you guys are thinking about your answer, I'll just say, I was going to ask the same exact question pretty much, which was, you know, I heard you, someone, I think Sam said that like, you had that moment of like, oh my God, they can actually do this. Like, I thought it was too hard, but they can do it. Um, so that's what I was going to ask about too, was like, when was that moment that you saw the like, wow, <laughs> they can do more than I thought. Yeah, when I thought about that one, um, the one that comes to mind is our kindergarten teacher. Um, she was going around the room. I was observing her once, and she was going around the room. They were completing a sentence frame for, I think it was Jen, it was the book with Jen, Ben Franklin or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the exact text. Uh, but they were completing a sentence frame, and she was going around the room writing their answers for them. And I um, pushed her to think that they can try it, right? So she was trying to write down um, their answers and she was, I said, well, why don't you, you know, wit and wisdom is also very visual. So on your anchor charts, you should have pictures and things like that next to them. So I was like, why don't you try it using the pictures? Because she didn't have any pictures up. I was like, why don't you try using the pictures and refer them to the anchor chart to pick their own answers? Um, Because what I was noticing was when one student said that one invention, the other students were saying the same invention. And I was like, you can't really tell if they really know or they're using their own knowledge. And so I went back to observe. I think I forgot what the book was after that. And she had the pictures with the anchor chart. And she allowed the student um, a table at a time to go up and pick their answer that they wanted to put on their paper. And it was just so much more meaningful to watch And I think that the students felt like they had autonomy because they went up to the board and they sat around in like a semicircle and they were writing their own um, ideas based off of what they had already worked on together. So it's not really, I mean, the assessment there is not whether you can spell the invention. It's not whether you can write it or write it correctly. But I just wanted to see, I wanted her to see that the students are capable of you of completing this work without you kind of handholding them and they can come to their information on their own just give them some type of onus on their learning and so that to me was she was like they really did it I said yeah once you have the routine in place they're gonna do it I know they're only six but look at them they're like baby geniuses over here (laughs) writing their sentences and and I thought that it was just a little bit more powerful so that's the one thing I could think of in the primary grades in the older grades that uh we're a K-8 and um I think that was a really hard uh, transition for them as well. But like I said, um, I can tell you that I asked our one of our teachers to just trust the process. She had a really hard time with adapting the lessons and cutting certain things and not wanting to trust the process. And I said, even if it takes you a little bit longer, trust the process. Just even if I asked her to work with me for three weeks, in following the lessons as they go, as slow as it takes you, just try it. 
And I think they were working on Bud Not Buddy. And she was like, they were able to fill out their evidence organizers. So I was like, I told you. <laughs> it was just the process. She said she adapted it to make it more. Um, she, did, she said they did a lot more stuff in group. But I said, that's okay. That's a scaffold you needed to make for them. But they still own the learning in a collaborative way. So I think that those are my two aha moments. Like, oh, they can do it. If you give them a chance or you give them a little extra scaffold or just a little bit of extra routine in there, you'll get it. You'll see that they can. Yeah, I I mean, I would agree. I think, and I think mine isn't like a one, isn't like a one instance kind of. I think it was just like over the time of shifting, um, like that first year and knowing the, the pushback that I would hear um, not just from teachers I work with, but I feel like across the, the district and hearing it. And the whole time I'm thinking, like kind of what Sam was saying is like, just trust the process. Like I didn't know what the end was necessarily outside of doing the backwards mapping and the, the lesson studies and those kind of things. But I trusted the process. And I think when we think about removing barriers for kids, we were almost creating our own barriers or teachers were for the kids by just fighting the, the process and harping. And I don't want to say that's that's very negative. I don't want to say a negative term, but you know, they were fixed. People were fixated on that time frame and the pacing and not, not without reason. There was, there was definitely a push to try to stay on pace, you know, and from a person who was supporting people, we wanted them to be on pace so that they could get through the curriculum. But I think once we found that balance of, okay, we have to give some leeway to let them trust this process, then it became more authentic for them to embrace it and to let the kids take the 10 minutes to discuss it in groups. And I think, you know, once we could get to that, I feel like year two, um, it, it just wasn't the same thought process. You know, I saw teachers embracing, you know, getting speakers to come in to support, you know, um, like I know Katie Scotty, she had a parent who came in who was a surgeon who talked about, you know, the, the heart unit. And um, the first grade teachers invited um, families in to talk about the cultural food for one of the units. So just like embracing that content piece and knowing that that itself is the value um, and, to, and giving, I mean, just as a teacher, you know, we're creative, giving up the creative that we were used to doing and embracing this new process that we had to, um, to kind of look at it just differently of, um, of how can we now support our kids and where they are and, um, and understand that process. So I think honestly, after we got through module one, maybe module two, and you understood that process of just the module itself and how it functions within, um, by year two, I feel like just a lot of people had a lot more confidence in what they were doing, which was huge. And they could release that. Okay. I can't do my, whatever unit that you were used to teaching every year that was, you know, you loved and you just had to teach that unit because you love it and you learned it in school. But now there's value in, in embracing those, you know it, you know, we all have those. Yeah, units. But once you embrace this, just the power and seeing like the kids and how they, how they like, just, they're so proud of themselves for the work that they've done. And, you know, we're so proud of them because they've, they've taken it to where it needed to be. And, and they're now authors and illustrators and, um, we did a, do a podcast in uh, kindergarten in our farm unit, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's just so amazing. So yeah, so great. <laughs> so I'm gonna switch gears a little bit on you guys. <laughs> um, so I am, you know, secondary <laughs> literacy person from my background, but I'm taking letters training currently. So <laughs> new experience for me. 
But, um, you know, one thing I thought was really interesting, someone in there, um, you know, they, they talk all about, you know, Scarborough's rope and how important everything is, so all the different parts of, of literacy. Um, but yet we still had some teachers who really were like, well, if we sh- if we're supposed to, if the, mo- if the more important thing is that students can decode, um, you know, they, they won two, then why do we spend all this time on wit and wisdom? I was like, I I know why. <laughs> but I kind of wanted to hear from you all. Like, like what in reality does that look like? How do you balance both the importance of our decoding? We use foundations, and you guys can talk a little bit about how Hagerty is fitting into that now um, with wit and wisdom. And why is it so important that we do all of it and not just focus in one place? And can I jump in before you all respond? Because I feel like you're just going to talk and we're going to be so pumped to listen to it that... Um, I would love to hear you uh, chat about geodes as well and how you're using those to kind of bridge because if you, you, you all have them in your buildings, right? Yeah. Not okay. the buildings, but yeah, they're on That's right. <laughs> I know. So I was thinking I'm like pre right now, I guess. <laughs> um, how geodes fit <laughs> before we pandemic. <laughs> then you want to take it? Um, specifically on geodes or just kind of... No, I was talking about the question, Emily. Yeah. Okay, so... Yeah. I don't think you guys had it last year. This is your inaugural year, right? Yeah. Yeah, we just we just did start them this year. So um, so I'll leave geodes to you, Sam. But I will say um, I'm doing letters right now. I'm in the second round. So I did units one through four last year with all the, the amazingness of the decoding pieces. And now I'm in the next units where we're really focusing on the comprehension piece. And I think of it like, um, you know, you would never put something aside that is useful now, right? So, so of course, you know, in the early grades, we have to teach kids how to decode and we want to give them all the skills, which by the way, if you haven't taken letters, oh my goodness, like 20 years later, this is all the stuff that I like kind of knew when I was teaching guided reading, but I was like, something's not right here. Something's missing. What am I doing wrong? And letters just answered that. So, and it's a crime that if nobody has, if you haven't taken it and you, and you teach, I'll just even say, if you teach, it is just basic information. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's eye-opening to say the least. But um, I think of being in the comprehension piece now of letters is really, um, it's still, it's, it's eye-opening to see the perspective of how, you know, comprehension is messy comprehension is just that messy you know the rope has so many parts to it and it's so um we can't see it we can't see inside of a kid's brain when they are um you know making comprehension kind of decisions you know using strategies we try our best to get in there but I feel like that's just this infinite part that we won't ever grasp um which is kind of why I think it's just that ongoing piece that should be that thread throughout because ultimately that's the goal right so if ultimately that's the real goal one of the pieces we absolutely need is the decoding piece so there's a time and place that we know that we have to get that solid which is in those early grades we'll say pre-k to, to two especially where we really have to budget our time to to focus on that but in the meantime we can't let those those comprehension skills sit to the side. We have to make sure that we are tapping into that because once we can let them loose, so to speak, with the decoding, they have to be able to implement, you know, those skills in an effective way. So I always think about, you know, um, think alouds and just modeling and just being, putting my brain on the outside when I am reading to kids, be it Pete the Cat or, 
or um, rapid tap tap or whatever the book may be is like making that, that thinking visual and just out there for kids is super, super important because that internal voice that they're going to have while they're reading is what's going to carry for the rest of their life. When they become adult readers, they probably aren't going to remember sounding out cat and Fox, but having the strategies. And I can say this from personal experience. I was the great decoder. I totally slipped by the, I I was in the high reading group until I got probably around fifth grade. And then I just started to like tank because I didn't get all that support in, um, in comprehension, which I think we assume when kids are good decoders, that they, they have those skills. So I think really paying close attention to both of those sides equally decoding and comprehension is super important for teachers because Um, I'm in a situation now where a lot of the kids come to me as great decoders, you know, even in kindergarten, but asking a deep question or thinking through, you know, um, sharing a thought process in, in a story that we're reading is not as clear. It's super muddy. And some kids have really a lot of strengths in certain areas, but we need a lot of support. I think we just need a lot more coaching in the, um, the comprehension area to make it more physical if, you know, so to speak. Decoding, we can put it down on paper. We can look at letters. We can teach blending in a very like formula kind of way. And comprehensions, it just doesn't work like that. So I think, you know, we have to um, to encourage that. And if you think about it, I mean, the number one thing I'd say for any child, even before they're born, the best thing you can do for them is read to them, you know, and um, support that thinking that they're going to have along, along the way of their reading journey. Um. Sam? Yes. Um, I think that, um, Melissa, I was actually one of those people when I first took letters last year. I honestly was like, same, the same thing that Jen said. I was like, aha, aha, aha. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I was just attacked with knowledge. I loved it. It was great. I actually enjoy reading research. I think Jen does too. Um, so I was just, I actually soaked it up. I was like, what I've been all my whole teaching career has been alive. Um, that's how I felt, um, in this moment. Um, it was kind of the, one of the first few times that I've heard about phonemic awareness in being a strategic direct approach. I was doing it, but it wasn't with as much intention as you know, I learned I should have been doing it with letters. I was like, I'm teach, I teach foundations like a beast. Like people come watch me teach foundations. I know I teach foundations. I, I mean, I had foundations down back. And then this was like, oh, foundation, foundations is not the beast knees, girl. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, and so I think to the people, but I had to sit and think about, well, what is my definition of comprehension and how do I teach it? And why is it still important? Um, I think what letters did for me was it highlighted the fact it highlighted some developmental processes for me more so than which is more important than the other. It highlighted that developmentally students are here and not to abandon comprehension, but look at how you're teaching it. So for instance, um, I think that if we had done letters, when I think of uh, phonics and phonemic awareness and where it would fit before, I think I would have struggled with finding out how it went because for me, comprehension was more of, can you apply these skills, like main idea and like all of these things. And my mindset had shifted with wit, had shifted with wit and wisdom. So I think that for me, it was like comprehension had a different definition now. It was more like, do you have a deep knowledge of what you're talking about or expressing through writing, expressing through language? 
It wasn't, do you know main idea? Do you know key details? Do you know who, what, when, where, why? It wasn't as, it was a lot more deeper. It was a lot, yeah, it was a lot deeper. So I think that when I had that mindset shift, um, I was like, okay, I really, no, it's a great question, Melissa, because I really sat down and I thought about, well, why am I spending all this time on wisdom? I was one of those people. Why am I spending 90 minutes? I need to be really focusing on this Haggerty, really focusing on this foundations, and that can come later. But what I found was um, when I was reading and you look at the rope and how it's intertwined, and it's not saying if, if the rope was start here and then this comes in after, then it would look like that. It's not, it's like that for a reason. It's supposed to be done together. And I think that um, it'll help with their reading. So a lot of reading is also their vocabulary. So the content knowledge of comprehension coming from the vocabulary, listening to the text, engaging with things, it's also going to help them decode better. It's also going to help them um, read better because that's a part of comprehension. It really starts to intertwine, even as, you know, it, you know, it doesn't really start to get tight until later on past our grade, but um, it, you still get to see it. So if we're talking about, for instance, Tomas and a library lady, we're talking about migrant workers. They're able to use their background knowledge to use problem solving strategies when they're reading because they, so it's a word they've heard before, engaged with before. So Therefore, they're more keen to read it better. And I know that there's research that supports that, that, um, you know, especially when you're talking about the language deficit with our students in the inner city and these things of that nature as compared to their more affluent peers, they're able to understand better when they're reading because of these things. So I, I really had to sit and think about, well, what is the benefit of me doing this deep analysis of reading um, a world of books, you know, that's the unit that we're starting with. And I really came up with the fact that this is going to help my students read. They have a deficit in language. They have a deficit in vocabulary. It's going to help them to decode because we're doing a deep knowledge build that's going to allow them to be able to do the things I'm asking them more. They have to hear the words in order to hear the sounds. You have to be able to, um, you know, it, it kind of, it was a, it I just would like to stress that once again, and I, I guess I should just coin this phrase, trust the process, right? No, <laughs> like, um, you need to, because it's important. So I guess when I looked at it that way, like it's not a waste of my time, but instead I will say that my small group attention did shift. Um, instead of sometimes I was using my small groups for wit and wisdom tasks and I, I didn't do that anymore. I, I was like, no, we need to use it for this phonemic awareness and this um, phonic. Um, and that is probably where I stress most of my time. And I knew I trusted wit and wisdom to handle some of the deficit in, because there was never really a deficit in their knowledge. It was always just like, mm, you can't write, you can't write the paragraph for the focusing question. Okay. Like I can work with that outside, but can I talk to you? Do you know what you're talking about? Can you hear the first sounds and all of these words? Okay. Can you say it in a coherent sentence? Okay. That can work from that. So I guess it was more of changing my focus on what was more, um, I guess, um, what I tested more or what I paid attention to more rather than which one I'm teaching more, if that makes sense. Hopefully that makes a little bit. I feel like I was ranting. <laughs> No, that made a lot of sense. And I think what you guys are saying, I mean, everyone knows that, you know, we want our students to decode before 
they leave third grade. But I think what we forget is I'm going to totally butcher this, but I think Tim Shanahan has a quote about this of like, you know, if you're looking to like raise test scores in first grade, then all this work with wit and wisdom and comprehension and vocabulary might not show up in those test scores. But if you are trying to, you know, get them ready for the long haul, like, like Sam said, like that vocabulary is going to be building them up for becoming good readers for the rest of their lives. Um, and that's hard to like see the big picture when you're <laughs> with your kids right there in kindergarten and first grade, but it's really true. Yeah. That just came up in, um, in letters, like their vocabulary at pre-K will be indicative of their comprehension success in third grade. So oh, wow. that you are contributing, you know, to, to that. And I think like, Sam, you made a good point of like, when wisdom, you really do have to trust it because it's set up in such a way for the kids to interact with each other and to build upon each other's questions and answers and, and scaffolding that where, um, you know, we, we really have to kind of get down to the nitty gritty with the, the decoding to fine tune those pieces right now. So it's just, it is that balance. Yeah. Um, Sam, do you want to speak about how geos helps build knowledge too? So, um, sure. So when we talk about geos, I was like, oh my God, I have another piece that I have to do. Um, <laughs> but what I loved about geos was it was just, an, it was kind of like, um, it really helped with my students that were, I won't say struggling, maybe my bubble kids more so than anybody else because it was aligned to foundations, which is what we're using. I loved it for the purpose that it's still steeped in the content we're doing in Wit and Wisdom. So it was just another form of integrated approach, right? So if I'm working on bonus letters, that text that we're in for that unit is going to focus on that. So just like we were talking about with that content knowledge and language acquisition, they're using um, the vocabulary or the knowledge that they had in the, in the whole group lesson to use in the geodes to decode those words. And they're sounding oh, like, look at the picture. You know, I'm using all of my guided reading strategies, but it wasn't separate. Like, I feel like the students knew it was connected. I'm like, because I can say, you know, we just talked about, um, creatures features in our whole group. So this book that we're going to read is also about animals and, you know, it's going to, we're going to practice some of the skills. It was just, even for me, I can see that they they had kind of like less anxiety. It wasn't, it wasn't a brand new book about something unknown. They had a little bit of background knowledge, you know, students attack the text differently when they feel confident that they know a little bit of something about the text. And we all know that. So I think that Geodes was really awesome in that way because it aligned to what I was doing in Phonic, to what we were doing in um, our whole group reading. Um, and that to me was meaningful because I felt like for the students that didn't really get it in that whole group, I mean, Wit and Wisdom is a 90 minute lesson. They check in, they check out, they check in, they check out. The text in Geodes was smaller, but it was still aligned. So it's smaller. You're reading it yourself. We're talking about it. We're doing a book walk. We're doing a little bit of a vocabulary, uh, but it's only like 15 minutes. So if you didn't get it, then you got it now because we were in it and it was something that was on your level. So this was the piece that for teachers that were like, oh, it's too above their level. This is the piece that's on their level because Foundations um, is written to be an intervention program and we're using it. So they can use it and attack this text at their level. You know what I mean? So it was really, um, that's how I used it. I also used it um, for like baby literature circles. 
So they're a little bit young for literature circles, but my higher kids were able to take the color text, which I think we get six copies of. They were able to take the color text and um, read it with each other. And um, the guide for geodes gives you some questions, like discussion questions. So I would write those down and have them talk about it um, and do those kinds of things. And then they would come read it to me on Friday and uh or I used to have authors chair too they can authors share it was just my chair but it was <laughs> they could sit in my chair and read it to the class um and we go over it with the black and white copies I just think it was uh it was a way for students to just interact with the text on something that was um I guess developmentally appropriate for them to attack on their own so they truly enjoyed it for that reason and it also a lot of the text some of them were fiction when we were doing nonfiction in mm-hmm. war, which I felt like for the students that preferred fiction or like really like those kinds of things, they were more engaged, even though they're still getting the content. It kind of was a nice flip. So I did enjoy it for that reason, like for the mixing of the genres. And it was just, you know, and for teachers that say, oh, we're reading the same thing all the time. We're doing the same text every day and it's so repetitive. And I think that's more for them. I haven't met a board kid yet. So yeah. it was the, like, it's just us wanting to move on because we are grown and we understand what's going on. You don't probably don't want to hear Tomas and the library lady for seven days, but they're really attacking something different every time. So if a teacher or if in their classroom, they really have somebody that's bored, this is some variety to give them with um, still staying in the content. And so that's what I really liked about Geo. I feel like a salesperson for Wit and Wit. <laughs> <laughs> we can totally hire you. Kim <laughs> is not getting paid for this. I, I am not getting paid for this. Uh, this is free promo right here. <laughs> I love it. No, I, I agree with you though, Sam. I think it, I, I got to see it. You know, I saw it in classrooms and I talked to teachers, but I got to see it as a mom firsthand during the pandemic last spring. And I mean, press would just read these geodes over and over and over and over again while we were, we were working on, um, module four of grade two, which is good eating. And so we were reading, you know, the wit and wisdom texts, um, the grade level texts, but then also, and she didn't even have foundations. Like we didn't do that piece of it because I had known that she had already mastered those. And, and I will say I'm lucky enough as a parent to know that, right. Um, to have been a teacher who knows that. <laughs> um, but she, I got to see her curiosity and it, it made me have that same thing that you just articulated. Like I, that same thought where sometimes as, as teachers or as grownups, we get in the way and kids are just naturally curious. And every time she read that book, I mean, something new came out of it. She's like, did you know or I didn't see this picture last time. And it reminded me of when she was really little and we would read the same books over and over and over again. And Melissa, you're probably in that stage with Elliot right now. And I was like, I'm so tired of this stupid book over okay. and over again. But, you know, by like the 500th time. Um, but they love it. And they, they like that predictableness and, and that be, learning something new every time. It's, it's new to them because they're just so curious as, as little beings. So I loved how you couched that. Um, Melissa, are you seeing that right now with Elliot? We're reading books over and over. <laughs> over and over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much just five of them that we reading over and over. <laughs> yes. But it's comforting, I think. And the other thing is, is it's, um, 
it's like it's their you're building their they're building their own confidence because every time even though they are I agree they're they're re- probably recognizing something new each time they are more successful each time mm-hmm. it's building the fluency too and that makes me think of of Brooks if you know Brooks um oh, Kristen McClellan's son, uh, he would, he was in my class last year and he would pick at center time to do decodables. Like he's like, can you just get out the decodables? Because he would choose to do that instead of play anything else. He was also my tech guy. He could fix anything on the computers on the kids, but he loved to read decodables. And there was a couple other kids who were like that too, but it's, you know, you like to feel successful and those kind of books do that for kids. Yeah. So how, like, thinking about how you're transitioning what you did last spring into right now, how, like, how is it going how, <laughs> in terms of implementation? I, was, I feel like the K2 band just really, I can't even imagine having to ask a kindergartner who, yeah, might be able to use an iPad, but um, has to now log in and out of Meets or Zooms and then respond and do work online and on paper. And <laughs> uh, I'm just curious how it's going for you gals. <laughs> um, I'll take that one. Um, okay. I think that, I think that the tech piece actually isn't that bad. For me. Um, it's actually not that bad. I put, well, prior, you know, the, the district changed the process for logging in, which was uh, another thing unto itself after we had already gotten the kids in a process. So that was um, probably just going, rolling with the punches and just uh, giving the, I think the parents for me are the most, I think engaging them helps me with my students. So they, in the first few weeks of school, were sitting with their students every day, um, right there, present every day. And I thought it was the sweetest thing because um, it, it's a new thing for them. They play on the computer. We don't learn from the computer. Like, what's that? <laughs> um, so and we don't have to stay focused. It's like kind of like a play thing that they're, they're told, you're being told to take seriously. But she's over there. She can't do anything over there. Like, I don't know. I can do whatever I want. So I think that navigating, I think the students navigating Google Classroom was a challenge. And I kind of don't really use that anymore. I use Dojo for the portfolio and they can like take a picture they can record themselves. My favorite feature for Dojo portfolio for the littles is, um, cause we don't have Seesaw. Um, they can record their answers to a question. So for instance, I'll put an assignment and I'll say, okay, retell Tomas and the library lady using our, um, and it's, well, we're doing reading on the Bibliobudo. So right now it's open to this page because this is what they had today. So I, and it's the, I forgot this is a podcast. You can't see me when you play this. Um, it has the um, the story stone pictures on it. So, and they have a picture of that on like the story on our class story. And I tell them to keep it open to this page and retell using it so they can speak. So it's not a Socratic seminar per se, but I can hear them and their talk. It's, it's so cute, y'all. <laughs> like, it's so adorable. And they actually are getting it. And then they can write about it. So there's not enough time in the day for me to hear everyone, which is probably the drawback. Um, I can't, I don't feel as connected to my students. So I'm trying to use technology, developments, the appropriate technology to help them interact with me and me interact with them. So I can respond to them on there as well. Um, and things like that. I think that the most 
The stickiest part for me is probably small group time and making that more meaningful. I It took me a while to realize, not a while, but I realized really early, actually, that when I leave the breakout room, when I leave the main room to go to a breakout room, they can't see whatever I was sharing my screen in the main room. So um, what I started to do was name the breakout rooms with their activities. And that kind of helped me out. So I'm like, okay, if you're supposed to be doing Amplify Reading, the name of your breakout room is Amplify Reading. If you're supposed to be meeting with me, that means you're waiting for me in the room. It's going to say, I'm going I'm to name that room the teacher. Those little things really helped out because I didn't have a million kids saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know. She went away. <laughs> I don't know. What's going on. <laughs> so I think that um, those kinds of things were um, super helpful virtually. Um, like I said, the only thing I think that I'm really struggling with is not being able to hear just, you know, the letters training. And I have the book. Everything is just right here. Letters book right here. Um, <laughs> I think that I can't hear their sounds. So even though I can like watch them say, I can't, I don't know if you're saying buh. And that would stress me out. So I need to know. I think I'm struggling with that piece only. But honestly, they've been doing so well um, for the most part. They've handled, they've been tackling that thing. Uh, once we got into, I think we spent the first two weeks of school. Click on Clever. Okay, show me how to mute. Show me how to unmute. Show me how to click participants and raise your hand. It's a game. Let's see how fast you can go. Um, and all of those kinds of things. And now I think we're in a good group. So I can say that. What about you, Jen? How's it going for you? Great. Now, we are lucky we do have Seesaw, but it sounds like Dojo has a lot of those same things. And it is hard because you can't connect like you're used to doing with the kids in the classroom, which is a huge part of, of any classroom. But I feel like with the littles especially, you know, our main form of communication a lot of times is oral language. So like Seesaw gives that opportunity um, to to share. And we have we allow our kids, I say we as my team, like, to make their own videos. You can just submit a video to us to tell us about you, you know, that that kind of thing. But I have been doing like the focusing question tasks on Seesaw and having them read their sentence after. So like they have the pieces to put together, they can draw their picture and then they can record themselves reading their sentence. So it's been, it's been really helpful. I'll say my biggest challenge just along that same vein of getting to know is like tech issues as far as Poor sound quality. We were talking about this earlier. Um, just the poor sound quality with the kids like are, that have that amplified sound, like they, they unmute and it's just so, gar- you know, um, loud and garbled gum. I don't even know what you would say, but you can't make out what they're saying. And, and the kids know that. So I think just trying to build a community when a couple kids are experiencing those issues or the Wi-Fi issues, the kids who continually have to rejoin, you know, it, it just creates the equity kind of, it shifted now to those those um, ideas. So um, I still let the kids unmute and, and try to share and we try to make it out or if there are adults near them, use the chat to try to tell me what you want to say because it's hard. It's hard to, to not feel like everybody's an equal part of, of what we're doing. So, um, and then, yeah, Hagerty. I love Hagerty. They love Hagerty, but yeah, we can't all, we can't oh, all listen. We can't all be unmuted and doing it. <laughs> I try my best. But because of those few kids that have that amplified sound, and I don't want to ostracize them and be like, y'all two stay on mute and we'll do this over here. Can't do that. So it's kind of just like I just pause, I just pause for a second and just ask them to uh, do it. I started playing the videos and then assigning the videos. And then once in a while, we'll, we'll do it together and I'll pause. Just so I want to make sure you're saying it. it doesn't make sense for you to watch it if you're not saying it correctly. You're 
to waste time. So just that managing, um, you know, now because we we do know that this that our foundational piece is super important. So I don't want to gloss over it and just define videos asynchronously. I want to do it together so I can hear you and make sure that you know perfect practice, not fake perfect, not you're practicing wrong and you yeah. correctly this whole time. So. Yeah. I've also missed turn and talk. Like there, I just can't find an effective way to do that. So it is a lot of, you know, everybody doesn't always get a turn. So, you know, that's kind of hard, but yeah. you know, I feel like the kids, like you said, the families and the kids have just rolled with the punches and that has been, you know, we always say like if, if somebody gets booted out or if I can't, my Wi-Fi drops, I've been booted out and I came back and they're waiting for me. And I was like, Oh, I love you all so much. You're still here. <laughs> they were all still there. And um, we, we read Pizza Cat early on and we said, do we cry? Goodness, no. We are not going to cry about this. We're going to like keep walking along and singing our song. <laughs> Since I heard, uh, I think Sam, you mentioned asynchronous. Um, speaking of keep walking along, I know that you have um, Wit and Wisdom Instinct. And so I'm curious how you're walking along with a, the Great Minds teacher and you're the classroom teacher at teaching synchronously and asynchronously. Like, how is that going for you? So in our model, first grade doesn't actually have any built-in asynchronous time into like, oh, wow. our day. So um, I have assigned the videos on Wait and Wins and Instinct. They know how to get to it. But I found that when I don't do it with the kids, like when I assign it in advance and, have, and ask them to watch it, I think they're just watching it. <laughs> like they're not actually engaging with it. Um, at least not for me. Uh, some of them are, and I'll ask them. So I, I tried it. You know, it's trial and error these days. So I'm assigning it. I'm like, okay, well, let's see if I assign it. And they come back and they're able to do it. Because they didn't. They, my school doesn't have the text in front of them yet. Um, what I've been doing, yeah. this is my my projector here. So while she's reading the story or if I'm if she's reading the book, I'm holding the book under the projector and I'm showing them the, the pages and we're pausing and doing it together for the most part. So we're working together with a great mind teacher the way it was intended to work, but I'm doing it with them. And our videos aren't lo- aren't that long to, um, so I can't do that. And I think yeah. it's just better that way because I'm able to point out certain things or pause and really check for understanding in real time, as opposed to, assigning it in advance I did that for Tomas and the library lady that our first book for the unit and I just found that I don't think they had a deep knowledge of what was going on and then for waiting for the Biblio Budo I was able to get some more I, I was able to have more deep, deeper conversations about the text when I did it with them in like a more organic way so that's how I've been using um the instinct I'll use it to assign like their assessments and things like that which is beautiful for that Mm-hmm. Um, but uh and they know how to access the videos I'll put what day I'm on and things like that if they missed it but we've been doing it together and I truly enjoy it with her with our great mind teacher I think it's, her name is Tanisha Spears I think yeah and she's so sweet yeah. <laughs> so that's awesome, awesome. well yeah. so th- yes and there's no wrong or right way to do it like that is a great way to take that like learning and do it with them because that's what you feel like your kids need. That's awesome. I'm happy to hear that. I love Tanisha too. Shout out to Tanisha. Shout out to Tanisha <laughs> if you ever get to hear this. 
Wouldn't it be so fun to have your class, like, sh- like have her, like, be on a Zoom and do, like, a real... Would they, like, cry? Like, oh, my gosh. I, I wonder if, like, they would even know the difference. They probably, because they would be on the screen, they probably be like, oh, is she still on the computer? And they would be like... <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That would be helpful. Like, look, it's your teacher, guys. She's joining us for a visit. And yeah, they, they, like, they would probably not realize. They probably don't realize that at that, that young age realize that it's recorded. <laughs> I know, right? Because, like, isn't she always with us? <laughs> she's always here. <laughs> That is so funny. Yeah, parents shared that about at the park because we haven't really met as a whole class, you know. So I think somebody saw somebody at the park and they were like starstruck by the child because they never physically met as much as, you know, when kids see you in real life, you know, outside of school, even though we are in school in real life. So the same thing happened to the kid. Like the kid saw another, a classmate in the park and was like, that's so like famous because they've seen him on a screen. So I agree. I think it's just, I've had her playing, but the kids couldn't see. They can only see the text, and that was better for me because I want them to know that you're not, you're just listening. But I want you in this book, <laughs> so look at this book. That's what I need you to do. So I think that that is um, that's how I've been doing it. But I think it's great um, to use. I also think that you do really have to supplement something uh, because the time constraint and everything else you. They did remove some of the, a lot of the, some of the meat from the lesson, but the high, they, I can tell that they picked the things that's going to get them to the end goal. However, the majority of my students are coming in at kind of a deficit where I do have to use the little notes on the bottom and be like, let me go back to this lesson and fill this in because they're not going to. They're not getting it as quick because they don't have as much time to get it. So we have to do a little bit more time on explaining those story elements. They don't remember all of them from kindergarten and having a separate amount of time to do those things. So that's it. But I think for the most part, so far, so good. Um, I think that I would say the majority of the students are getting what they need. The ones that come every day, I would say <laughs> they're getting what they need as far as that goes. Yeah, so. it kind of goes back to that like year one. I mean, this isn't year one, but it's. So just knowing what are the important pieces is, is, is key. And we, we haven't done it all yet. So it's kind of like flying that plane while we're, you know, building it. So I made like a, I made, and I'm actually doing the same collaborative planning tomorrow. I made like a protocol for the deep dives. So, you know, the deep dives aren't included. So um, I made like a little, my little protocol for like, it kind of mirrors like the focusing question, the focusing question arc study protocol where like we're looking at that and then going back and deciding which deep dives we need to teach in order for them to be um because uh the protocols that are on on the resource tabs don't really align to what we're doing virtually you can apply them and like adapt them but there's nothing that's specific for in sync or anything like that you know so what we did, I made one um, last week and we started to look at our deep dives and decide which ones we're going to teach. Like I had to teach noun separately and things like that. I had um, uh, some other skills separately, but it was worth it because they needed to know subject verb agreement. Can't We can't move on <laughs> without this. So just having teachers remember that, hey, that piece is not there, but that doesn't mean that you don't have to go in there and build this up and teach this. So like you said, Jen, you kind of just pick and choose. <laughs> and cheer. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's pretty much you know it's important to yeah. you know to that end goal. 
Yeah. So we always ask all of our, I'm sure you've, you've been prepared with this, but just in case you weren't, think now. Um, <laughs> we always ask all of our guests to leave our listeners with one piece of advice. And you're hearing Cressley in the background, thanks to, to virtual learning. <laughs> um, one piece of advice, um, which I feel like you two, if you could aim your advice at K2 teachers, I think that would be amazing because this, we've been just so eager to speak with the two of you and, and really just like hear all of this fabulous stuff from our primary teachers who we know this is a big shift for. Um, so if you wouldn't mind gearing your advice to K2 teachers, that would be amazing. And I'm going to let you two uh, figure out who's going to go first on that one. <laughs> Jen, are you prepared? <laughs> really prepared, but I mean, I have a thought because it's my personal thought about this time. And I don't know if you wanted to be specific about virtual learning and early childhood, but I think um, it probably could apply to other grades as well, is like to use this time to reflect on what's really important. And I mean that in a professional way. And I mean that in... Um, in an instructional way. So like we've had to distill down to what is essential for our kids to get every day. And I think that really puts us in a position to think about how we present the content. I mean, we're challenged with, you know, making this engaging every day. And, and it isn't just because we're sitting behind a screen, I don't think. I mean, it is the time that we're in. And I don't think, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to bounce back to what we were used to anytime soon. And I think, you know, we get comfortable in doing things just because we're comfortable doing things. And now is the time to really, I think, be reflective about what's important and what works and what we're choosing to teach because we know it's important. So I think if we can use that time, this time to think of it this way and how creative we're being now and kind of use it as, as you know, um, a catapult into where should your focus really be moving forward as an educator um, and just thinking about the needs of your kids because we know it's all been highlighted now. Like it's right in front of you of what the, the challenges are. So I would just say, you know, personally and professionally um, and instructionally, like think about what's important and um, readjust your goals for yourself and your students accordingly. Um, and I, my advice is very similar, Jen. Um, I would just say, uh, don't abandon what you know to be true, right? So yes, it's virtual. Yes, the the delivery mode is different. But the things that you held true as knowing that this is important for our students to know, keep that that as the forefront of your instruction and you will succeed. Because I think that there's a lot of bells and whistles that come with all of the materials and resources that we have at our feet. When we know that you can probably teach with a couple letters and a, a pencil. (laughs) <laughs> and exactly and exactly there you go Jen um just you it's not it doesn't have to be students don't need all the bells and the whistles right and I think that my advice to teachers would just be to give yourself some grace um give your students some grace and um just approach this thing with the information that you already know and see how you can um you can deliver with that in mind. So I think that probably would be my advice is look at all the moving pieces and discern which ones are going to give you the best bang for your buck and how you can meet the needs of your students. 
Um, and I think that would pretty much my advice. Oh, and also manage your time because this 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 hour in ten minutes that well no do I have an hour? Yeah, this hour that I have for literacy is um I am trying <laughs> I am trying my best to uh, get it all in. So and don't feel bad about it. Uh, that would be my advice for them. Yeah, that's all great advice. Thank you both so much. It was great to learn from you today and hear all the great things you guys are doing. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. People you'd want to talk to. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Thank you.